Appreciate the presence of everyone. We have a good number present. Those who may be visiting with us, we're glad that you've come. Hope you can come back and be with us again. Encourage you to get your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 14 to a familiar setting that is talking about John the Baptist and Herod and Herodias and the daughter of Herodias. Let's begin reading at verse 1 and read through verse 12 of Matthew chapter 14. At that time, Herod, the teacherarch, heard the report about Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and therefore the powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. When Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. And therefore, he promised with an oath that what he would to give her whatever he, she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me the John the, the, uh, John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oath and because of those who sat with him at the table, he commanded it be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Let's talk about the characters that come to play in this story. There, first of all, is King Herod. This is Herod Antipas. This is the son of Herod the Great. He's the ruler of Galilee and Perea. He's not a good guy. He's a bad guy. He's an evil guy, as were the Herods. There is also his wife, Herodias. She had been Philip's wife, and he had taken her. He didn't have a right relationship with her. That is, he was not a it was not a lawful relationship, and, and John told them the case. There was a daughter there. She is not named in this text. Her name was Salome. That was the daughter of Herodias. It wasn't the daughter of Herod, but it was the daughter of Herodias. There was a preacher on the scene. That was the fourth character there, and his name was John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, the forerunner of the Christ. Let's talk about the nature of these people. What were they like? Those were the four characters that come to play in this story. You see, John was a strong preacher. By strong preacher, he, he didn't just tell the Christ is coming, the Christ is coming, I'm preparing the way for the Christ. And then when he was confronted with a difficult circumstance, he backs away. That was not the case at all. In fact, he was strong because he confronted Herod, which he knew could take his head off, which he eventually did. John was a strong preacher. There is Herod Antipas. He was a weak king. He's weak in a number of ways, and we'll talk about those as the lesson goes further. There is Herodias, and she was a wicked and conniving woman. She was not a godly person at all. There is Salome, the daughter. She was a lewd and careless girl. And so you put the setting here. You have a strong preacher that comes to play. You have a weak king, a conniving woman, and a lewd girl. And it's going to make for an interesting story. Verse 9 says, the king was sorry. Well, he was a sorry king, all right. He was a poor leader. He was given to sin, but he's not really saying he was a poor and a sorry king. The point of the text is he had regret. 
for what he had just promised and what he's got himself into. Mark's account says he was exceedingly sorry. Matthew's account only mentions that he was sorry. The king was sorry, the text said. But Mark focuses on he was exceedingly sorry. And Mark tells us why, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But this is not godly sorrow at all. He is not sorry that he's been involved in sin. The text doesn't say he's sorry that, that he was married Herodias. That he's sorry that he uh, is uh, having this girl loosely display herself before him. That he's sorry for having this party that he's having, but he's sorry that he made the rash promise that he now has got himself in trouble and she's asked for the head of John the Baptist. What a contrast we see between John and Herod. John was strong while Herod was weak. John was a man who stood up to pressure and Herod was a man who caved to pressure as this text well illustrates. John was a man who was good to Herod. He told him the truth. Even though what he told him wasn't pleasant, even though what he told him he didn't, he didn't like, he was being good to Herod. In fact, Herod had listened to him many times, according to Mark's account. And he had some respect for John because of that. But on the other hand, John or Herod was evil to John. He put him in prison, would have killed him, and then later did kill him, the text says. John was a man who was ruled by reason. Herod is a man who's ruled by passion. Quite different, aren't they? John was a man who resisted pressure. The pressure was on when he stands before Herod and he sees that he's in an unscriptural marriage. The pressure is on to tell him what he wants to hear rather than what I have to tell him. But Herod, on the other hand, was a man who was given into pressure. There was the pressure of the crowd. There was the pressure of the daughter. There was the pressure of his wife. What a contrast in all of the characters here. So let's talk tonight about the king was sorry. If you have your Bible open to Matthew 14 and in verse 9, you might even underline, and the king was sorry. What do I learn from that? The king was sorry. Why was he sorry? Well, the king was sorry because he faced the pressure of unresolved guilt. The king was sorry because he's facing the pressure of unresolved guilt. Let's go to Luke's account now in Luke chapter 3. So turn to Luke chapter 3, if you will, verses 19 and 20, and let's see what we find about the case with Herod the Tetriarch. Verses 19 and 20 tell us that Herod was guilty of sin. But Herod the Tetriarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done. Now notice verse 20 also added this, above all, that he shut up John in prison. Well, first of all, he was a man full of sin, and the man had a number of sins. First of all, mentioned in this context, he was guilty of adultery. He had married Herodias. He had no right to her. She was not his lawful wife. So he had seduced her to come to him and to put away Philip, and now they're in an unscriptural marriage relationship. It was not lawful for him to have her, the text says, for he indeed had married her. Verse 19 mentions the fact that there were other evils. He rebuked him for his wife, verse 19, and for all the evils which he had done. And then notice the phrase in verse 20, adding this. In other words, there's guilt upon guilt. You're guilty of adultery, that's one thing. But then here's all these other evils that you have done. And then added on top of that, he put John in prison. There's guilt upon guilt. Here's a man who's guilty of sin. So let's now go back to our text 
And notice his reaction to the rebuke was he regretted being told. Rather than saying, I'm glad you told me about my sin because I want to correct that. I'm glad you told me about all these other evils because I want to correct that. And I don't want to put you in prison because I want to be right with the Lord. I want to be right with, with God in the end. That's not the case. He regretted being told. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 14 and in verse 3. The first thing that he did was to put, was to put John in prison. For Herod laid hold of him and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake because that's what she wanted. Again, he's bowing to pressure. So he regretted being told. Verse 5 tells us that at that moment he wanted to kill him. Now he had some respect for John, I recognize Mark's account said, but he wanted to kill him. Look at verse 5. Although he wanted to put him to death, and the reason he didn't is he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. I don't want to go against the crowds. I don't want to turn the crowds against me, but I want to kill him. Why? Because of Herodias. Because of the pressure that's being put on. So he became an enemy of John because John told him the truth. Paul writing to the Galatians said, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Is that why, am I going to be an enemy of yours because I'm simply telling you the truth? Well, that's exactly what happened with Herod. Is Herod became an enemy of John because John was telling him the truth of God Almighty. Now may I suggest that we learn from that, that people react differently when they're confronted with sin. Some act just like Herod and some act to the contrary. Some people deny the guilt of their sin. Here's a man who's sorry, and one of the things that's making him sorry is has unresolved guilt. Some people deny their guilt. I'm not guilty of sin at all. Some even acknowledge their guilt, but they do nothing about it. You're right, I've done wrong. You're right, that is a sin. You're right, I'm living in adultery. You're right, I'm engaged in that practice. I don't do anything about that. Some, like Herod, fight reproof and then they sink deeper into the quicksand of sin. You're guilty of adultery, so what does he do? Because Herodias is mad, he puts him in prison. Would like to kill him, but he doesn't do that. But then later he takes his head off. Some, like Herod and Herodias, get mad when confronted by sin. On the other hand, some are like the 3,000 in Acts chapter 2 who make a complete change. When they realized they had crucified the Son of God, they wanted to know what must we do. They were told to repent and be baptized, and that day 3,000 gladly received the word and were baptized. Some like Simon when he was rebuked. Remember what Peter said to him? Your money perish with you. You've offered to buy the Holy Spirit with money, and you're in a, da a danger of perishing and losing your soul. He didn't resent that. He didn't get mad. He asked Peter to pray for him. And so he repented and prayed. People react differently to unresolved gift. The king indeed was sorry. Are you sorry? Are you dealing with unresolved guilt? It is one of the things that's making you sorrowful and sad and frustrated as you're dealing with unresolved guilt. There's sin in your life that you never obeyed the gospel to get rid of that guilt. Or maybe you're a Christian and there's unresolved guilt you've not made correction for. And you're dealing with that unresolved guilt. Could it be said that you're sorry just like the king because you're dealing with unresolved guilt? Well, let's go further. The text says in verse 9, the king was sorry. But one of the things perhaps that made him sorry was the fact that he was under the pressure of unwise and unlawful relationships. He was under the pressure of unwise and unlawful relationships. 
You see, Herod was dominated by an unlawful wife and a stepdaughter. He had no business in being with her in the first place. Go back to Matthew chapter 19 and in verse 4. John had said, it's not lawful for you to have her. So he's involved in an unlawful relationship in the first place. Well, let's just grant for argument's sake that he had a right to be married to her. He shouldn't have been controlled by them in the second place. You say, how, why do you say that? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. And the reason I go all the way back to Genesis instead of a New Testament reference, this is God's law from the beginning that applied to all men, not just the Jews and not just New Testament Christians, but for all men for all time. Genesis 3.16, your husband shall rule over you. So here was the leadership of the man. So let's just grant for argument's sake they had a right to be married he should not have been controlled by Herodias or by the stepdaughter. And so he didn't have a right to be married in the first place. And in the second place, he shouldn't have been controlled. So he's dominated by an unlawful relationship. But they controlled him and they manipulated him. You see, the reason John's in prison is because of her. She's putting pressure upon him. The reason John's head is taken off is because Herodias had talked the daughter into asking for that. So they're manipulating and they're controlling and they're dominating him. He's under the pressure of an unwise and unlawful relationship. I want to suggest to you that many are dominated by personal relationships that are dominating to them. Let's go to Proverbs 1. Some are controlled by friends. How so? Let's go to Proverbs chapter 1. The proverb writer warns about how friends could lead us astray, the influence of our friends, about making friends with people who could influence us and carry us in the wrong direction. So let's go to Proverbs 1 and we'll talk about how we might be controlled by our friends. Beginning at verse 10. My sons, if sinners entice, you do not consent. If your friends try to encourage you to do things that are wrong, don't consent. If they say, come with, with us, let us lie and wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without a cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down into the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possession and fill our houses with spoil. Cast your lot among us and let us have one purse. Now we'll stop there and come back to the text. They're going to encourage you. Come and be a part of us. Don't be a stick in the mud. Don't be someone who's odd. Come and do what we're doing. And there's going to be great benefit if you go with us. Notice what he said, verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for they run, their feet run to do evil and to shed blood. So how could we be controlled by our friends? By the pressure they put on. And so we have the pressure of a group of friends who are pushing us in a certain direction by their influence, by their example, by their encouragement, as per uh, Proverbs chapter 1. Some are controlled by maybe an ungodly relationship because they're controlled by business or by money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so because people love money, it might be a business, it might be their job. Or it might just be the desire for more money that controls them and pushes them in a direction to do things contrary to the will of God. Some are controlled by their children. Proverbs 22.6 talks about training a child in the way they should go. The parents should be in control. You remember Proverbs 22.15 talks about foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod will drive it far from them. The parents are to be in control. But quite often what is the case is the children are in control of the parents. Where the parents are fearful of how the children may react. I'm afraid they'll rebel against me if I, if I take control. I'm afraid they'll quit going to church if I take control. 
I'm afraid of what they'll do if I try to put some pressure upon them. And so they're controlled by their children rather than controlling their children. That seemed to be the case of Herod and Salome. Some are controlled by an unlawful marriage relationship. They've got into an unlawful relationship and they, they don't see how they can get out of that relationship. They don't think they, they want to get out of that relationship, and so they're controlled by that. Their passion and their desire to be in that relationship is far greater than their love for the Lord. Some, some are controlled by an unwise marriage. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's a case where the marriage may not be unscriptural, but it may very well be unwise. You remember 1 Corinthians 7. Let's back up a little bit before we get to verse 27. Paul is talking about, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the present distress. That is, here is a short, severe period of persecution. And under that present distress, he had said it verses 1 through 9, it was better not to be married. Not unscriptural, not unlawful, but it's better not to be married during that circumstance. Now, with that being the case, later at verse 28, he says, or let's get verse 27 on the way. He said, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. In other words, it's not wise to be married under this circumstance. Not saying it's unwise to be married. Not saying it's unlawful to be married. But under this circumstance, it's not wise. Verse 28, but even if you do marry, you've not sinned. That is, under that circumstance, you marry in the present distress. You haven't sinned. It's just not the wisest circumstance, is his argument. So here's our point. That maybe that some are controlled by an unwise marriage. Quite often, someone is dating a non-Christian. And others will, will try to encourage them to be do the right thing and tell them, you know what, this could end up in a relationship where it's, it's going to be hard to live the Christian life in this relationship with this non-Christian. And they ignore that advice and they ignore that advice and then they get into that marriage and they have all kinds of trouble and now they're controlled by an unwise relationship. It may not be unscriptural, but it's a very unwise relationship and that controls their life, just like Herod was being controlled by others. I want to suggest to you that there are many sorrowful situations that could be simply explained, for he married her. That's what the text had said in Mark 6 concerning Herod and Herodias, for he had married her. That explains a lot of his sorrow, doesn't it? You know of Christians that are in great sorrow because they're in a bad relationship, and it can simply be explained, for he married her, or she married him, as the case may be. The king, the text says, was sorry. Are you sorry? Are you sorry because you're being controlled by an unlawful relationship? Are you sorry because you're being controlled by an unwise relationship? It's not unlawful, but it's not a good relationship. It's just not wise. And you're being controlled by that. But finally, the text says, verse 9, go back to Matthew 14 and in verse 9. The text says, and the king was sorry. May I suggest perhaps his sorrow was increased because of the pressure of an unwholesome atmosphere. There indeed was the pressure of an unwholesome atmosphere. Now we're in Matthew 14, but let's go to the parallel account in Mark 6, talking about the same circumstance, same story, not a similar story, the very same story we're talking about in Matthew 14. Here was the unwholesome atmosphere. There was a wild birthday party. And that influenced Herod. Look at verse 21. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles 
the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. There was a wild birthday party. Likely there was drinking and there was drunkenness. That would not have been prohibited by any of the Herods. Remember, they were evil people. These are not godly people. Uh, these were not devout Jews who tried to follow the law at all. The Herods were known for their ungodliness. Likely there was drinking and there was drunkenness. We do know from verse 26 or verse 22 in Matthew 14, 6, the parallel account that we've been in, there was lascivious dance that was taking place. She comes in and displays herself before the king and he likes what he sees. Not something that was boring to him. He likes what he sees. Verses 21 and 22, they were ungodly guests. Remember, the Herods would have invited them. Go back to verse 21. There were the nobles and the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. These were not godly people, by the way. And all of that caused Herod to agree to things that he later regretted. But here he's in this atmosphere, this unwholesome atmosphere. There's drinking, there's dancing, there's lewdness. There's ungodly people sitting there. Unwholesome atmosphere, I want to suggest to you, serves as a disadvantage to the Christian. We often place ourselves in bad circumstances. It might be for social reasons to, and because of our friends, we're placed in a circumstance because we want to go with our friends. We've been invited by our friends. And so we go with our friends, and now we're in the midst of an unwholesome circumstance for social reasons. Or it might be for economic reasons. It might be because of work. I, I, I wanted to go and I needed to go and I needed to be with people. I was invited to go and I get there and I'm in the midst of an unwholesome circumstance. There may be drinking. There may be dancing. There may be ungodliness. Christians need to strive for purity. Let's, let's go to a couple of passages and talk about the purity for which we should strive. Start in James chapter 4 and in verse 4. He talks about adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You see, being a friend of the world, meaning it doesn't mean that you, it's not talking about having friends in the world. It's not talking about the idea of you're friendly toward people in the world. But friends of the world in the sense that you identify with the world, you participate with them. You're involved in what they do. You're a spiritual adulterer, adulteress. And you're a friend of the world, that makes you an enemy of God. And whoever makes him, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can't have both. The Christian should strive for purity. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter is about living pure and holy in all of your conduct. That's the point of 1 Peter chapter 1. That's the point of the entire book. Be holy in all of your conduct, in your worship, in your family life. Notice in verses 1 through 4, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. Drop down to verse 2, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh and the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. In other words, before you became a Christian, you've wasted enough time living in sin. Like doing what? Well, he mentions, verse 3, when we walked in licentiousness, lasciviousness, lust, and drunkenness, we used to live that way. He said, you've wasted enough time. Don't do that anymore. Rivalry, uh, revelries. 
drinking parties, drinking bouts, social drinking in other words, and abominable idolatries. And then he says the world, verse 4, and I might paraphrase, thinks it's strange that you would be involved in not be involved in the things that they're involved in. In other words, the Christian should strive for purity. Love not the world, John would say, nor the things in the world, and all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The Christian should strive for purity. We ought to seek to avoid the atmosphere that breaks down the resistance we work hard to build. So we work hard trying to build faith. We work hard trying to build resistance against sin. We, we work hard to avoid sin, and then we put ourselves in an atmosphere where we're tempted with greater temptation to commit sin. The pressure builds when Christians are in an atmosphere where there's drinking going on. The pressure's on. The pressure builds when we're in an atmosphere where there's dancing. The pressure builds when there's an atmosphere of cursing and when there's an atmosphere of immodesty and lascivious behavior. And may I suggest to you that out of such an atmosphere, decisions and actions could later be explained as he or she was sorry. It's the kind of atmosphere Herod found himself in. There was drinking, there was dancing. There must have been lascivious behavior. He was very pleased with her dance. So much so that anything you ask, I'll give it to you. Made a rash decision. And that decision is later explained. He was sorry. The king indeed was sorry. Are you sorry? Do you often find yourself in an atmosphere of unwholesome things? And, and you're participating in or making decisions that you later have to say, you know what, I'm sorry about that. I'm, I'm, I regret that circumstance and I regret the decisions that I made in the midst of that circumstance. The king, the text says, Matthew 14, 9, was sorry. He was under the pressure of unresolved guilt. He was under the pressure of unwise and unlawful relationships, and he was under the pressure of an unwholesome atmosphere. The king was sorry. There may be one or more present who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith in Christ, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?